0: very excited to be introducing a sneaky little bonus episode for you this week this one's in collaboration with kyle graham from at dad podcast which is where you can find him on instagram and yes as the name suggests he hosts a parenting podcast aimed at men so we hope you enjoy this episode we had so much fun creating it for you and we will see you next week for our usual programming the episode will be all things fourth trimester but in the meantime enjoy
1: Daddy ho daddy and welcome to the Dad Podcast. This is brought to you by myself, Kyle Graham. This is a place where all types of dads or dads-to-be can tune in, cop a giggle, or learn something new about life as a parent. Follow along as we interview dads of all types and undercover some wisdom to help us be the best dads and partners we can be. So get comfy and listen in, your big deals, because the next episode of the Dad Podcast is about to go down. Daddy Ho, Daddy O's, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Dad Podcast. I'm super excited to have you all listening in and equally excited about the guests that I have coming on for this week's episode. So this week I have Sophie and Ashley from With Woman, the podcast. Now, Sophie and Ashley are both midwives and have experienced a lot through, you know, their journey of being midwives and Yeah. So they have started a podcast called with woman, the podcast. And it's just about empowering women through that journey of becoming. You know, mothers and the daunting process of going through birth. So I'm super stoked to have them on and and kind of like pick their brain from a from a bloke's point of view and you know give you guys some nuggets of what to do, what not to do, and uh, you know also just hear from them and uh, hopefully you guys can pick up on some uh, some really great tips there. So yeah, uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Sophie and Ashley. All right guys. I'm um, super stoked and excited to have you guys on the dad podcast. So welcome and thank you both so much. Really appreciate very, it. Oh,
0: thank you. We are very <laughs> excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's so it's so awesome to just have like, you know, some real professionals willing to take, you know, time out of their weekend in our uh, circumstance. I know, I was actually just, I was like
0: it's actually that's really nice. Well
1: you are, you're industry professionals, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we
0: definitely appreciate yeah, you asking us to jump on board and yeah. to give a little bit more insight from our perspective of things, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the reason for it is to, you know, give us daddios some opportunities to take some real nuggets out of your experiences, you know, like and just just arm them with every possible thing that they can to to dag glory through that birth process, that. you know? So <laughs> and great. also let's talk about the what not to do's as well. I think yeah. it's really important Oh we've got a few
2: of those. Yeah, that's definitely
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so like, I don't know about you guys. So you guys have just started this new journey of creating a podcast too. And one of the measures of success for me, like creating this podcast was if I can just help one person, like each episode, I've nailed it, you know? So I've been so overwhelmed by the feedback that i've got so far from you know people listening in and stuff and and also people in person coming up to me has been insane like you know whether it was their place to share it or not but you know like you know sharing something about their husband or this or that or like you know just blokes reaching out to for for a bit of a chat so you know like i just I, i've loved the whole process of creating a podcast and you know interviewing all walks of life and experiences and stuff so you know i just think as i sort of said mentioned to you guys earlier i think gone are the days of dads being stereotyped as just being silly or uneducated you know especially during the the process of of birth and parenting too because like i know so many times i've walked down to the park and it's like oh good on you you've got the kids like it's like what's is this just normal you know like fuck yeah
2: People are like, oh yeah, like dad's babysitting. I'm like, no, he's not babysitting. Like, it's his kids.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: he's just parenting. parenting.
2: He's nothing.
1: Yeah, and see, like it's a culture, and you know, changing a culture isn't easy. But I guess you know this is the start, and I just want dads to feel encouraged by other dads to sort of educate themselves, you know, on what's about to happen not only for their partners but themselves as well you know as men we don't go through the physical changes but there's certainly a shift in our mental state and it's not about losing our identity or anything like that it's it's about worrying if you're good enough for the role you know supporting nurturing and providing isn't something that males are generally faced with until they're about to have a child right so, you know, speaking from experience, I know that I've had times where I've felt a huge amount of pressure to provide for my family, you know, a really great life, but then also be around and and be involved. Impressive. So, yeah, yeah she, she's a tough one, but, um, you know.
0: i excited to delve in with you. We are. Yeah. I think what you're doing is is really important because... Yeah, the stereotype is there, but it doesn't help when men don't feel safe enough to have these conversations with each other. Totally. And you're providing space for that conversation to begin. And it's really important work that you're doing. And yeah, we started a podcast relatively at the same time and it's great. And we feel exactly the same in the sense that every time we release an episode, we don't really care how many people listen to it as long as they gain something from it. And like you said, if we can help one person along their journey, then that's That's what we've achieved our
1: goal yeah. yeah yeah it's so cool hey it's so cool to experience and you know it's it's an idea that you just talk about between yourselves and then for it to to come to light and snowball into this kind of like really cool things that's it's awesome hey it
2: looks awesome bloody wild isn't it? yeah it's been about <laughs> two, what, two three years yeah
0: to that's actually jump off of, the cliff yeah, and have the balls to like yeah actually do it and I think you know being in a pandemic really sparked that for us yeah because we Mm. had the time but um it gave us the opportunity yeah for sure yeah
1: yeah so enough of me blabbering (laughs) it's time to learn about you both and yeah let's start with a little intro about each of you and you know what's your background and what's the story about you know around the potty creation as well and so you just recently had a bub did you
2: I did it is six and a half months now congrats Thank you. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind.
1: Yeah. Uh, welcome to the other side.
2: Yeah,
0: Hopefully.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So I have been a nurse for oh god, eight years. Eight years. Yeah. We're the same. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's why there's two of us for this podcast. <laughs> And a midwife for seven. Um, And then I started working in MGP, which Ash and I have previously spoken about on our podcast where we met about three years ago. And I've been on maternity leave going on seven months now. I have a little boy. His name is Hayes. And I think being a midwife, people expect you to know what parenting is about. And really, like, we only know the first two weeks. Yeah.
0: And that's it. We know as much as you yeah. do. So <laughs> I'm, like, learning as I go as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Ash?
0: Um, I'm Ash. At- I've been a nurse for the same amount of time that Soph has and a midwife also for the same amount of time. As Soph said, we worked on uh, midwifery group practice together. So for those that don't know, it's a model of care where you have a primary midwife and she follows you through your journey of pregnancy. She's present at your birth and then up to two weeks postnatally. So we refer to this as a continuity of care model. And basically it's associated with having better outcomes for mums, families in general, and babies as well. And we're strong, advocates for women's rights and because <laughs> obviously our, our, our podcast is called With Women. They're yeah. kind of the other side of the spectrum to what you are with DadBot. But our purpose is very similar in the sense that we really want to empower women to take control of their bodies um, and to gain a little bit of knowledge, you don't have to be flooded with a huge influx of every single thing that you may or may not need to know, but it's just about having a basic knowledge. Yeah, having yeah. a basic knowledge and having the confidence to own it and to and speak the up for yourself. To be
2: able to advocate
0: for yourself. Yeah, too. yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the purpose of why we developed this podcast because we really want to provide that platform. Outside of that, I'm not a mum yet. TBC. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's like she's pregnant. <laughs> 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 imagine if I dropped that. I don't I'm think jealous. your wife would be very happy if I dropped that on your pod uh, and
1: she Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I know Kyle because I'm best friends with his wife. We went to high school together, so that's how we know each other. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm just living my best life at the moment. <laughs> I just live vicariously through Ash, all of her little <laughs> Yeah, Especially I send on, was Friday, night? Friday night. Yeah, I send Sophie, Sophie videos of me when I'm out, and then she's like, "Can we post this on on our Instagram page?" And I ask, <laughs> discredit me. No one will listen to what I said. That was the say. one I wanted to post on Friday you know, when I, I fell think? over, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the dance floor.
1: Very professional. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's us.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, like I think there's parallels with what we're doing. You know, it's a very similar goal that we you know hope to achieve for our listeners. So, yeah, it's really, it's really cool that you guys are doing that. So I think let's start talking about some of the things that dads can arm themselves and sort of, you know, be ready for. And so, like, we might dive into a few sort of questions and stuff for you guys if you don't mind answering. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. What's one of the best or worst dad performance you guys have ever witnessed <laughs> during obviously yeah that birthing process? Yeah.
2: <laughs> there's been a lot. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> I think the main one is fainting. Oh. Yeah. for sure. Just, yeah. Yeah. The amount it's of so annoying. It, no, but it's so <laughs> common as well. The amount of dads that you look over and they are just white as a ghost. Yeah and I always say when women are in labor now like to their partners support people are you a fainter like give me a heads up now because the amount of times that you turn around and they're like already on the floor or something <laughs> and you have to like put them on a chair put them on a
0: recliner <laughs> set them up with some orange juice I think too um there's this ideology that men need to be like strong and you know not perceived as weak and all of those sorts of things so you can and usually this happens to either in theater or when an epidural is being inserted they're kind of the main yeah. two that reasons yeah. as to why or men would faint they don't right after if there's a lot of blood yeah, yeah. true otherwise I don't typically men like keep it together for a birth yeah or they're just like completely like, in their like, zone like, real yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you always look at them across the room and sometimes we can preempt things because we're looking at them and we're like you're, we know you're not okay and <laughs> but they're often like no no I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine everything's good I'm room. strong enough yeah and then boom <laughs> they're on the floor You're yeah like, oh, I told you that's so much paperwork <laughs> um but yeah it's often you know when an epidural's being put in and they do that accidental sneaky look around and look at the size of the needle and then they go or, really? the like, yeah. really? or you can see the needle yeah or you can see right in front of their
2: partner and they're trying to like hold on to them because we always say like stand in front of her so she can kind of like have you right in front of her yeah you can see them kind of slowly start to like look around for like a seat or something or they're like trying to take like deep breaths and you're like just yeah I'll take over.
0: (laughs) I think another thing too is like some men who are a little bit disengaged from the process too there's been some stories where we've looked after people who are you know semi-professional footballers or athletes of some description and so you can kind of see the family dynamic between the woman and the partner during her labor and you've got like a funny story of when the woman said to you don't worry about me I'm fine but can you go and get my partner lunch and I was like like And I was just standing there thinking, like, fucking what?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Honestly, I've been here for like 12 hours and I haven't even had a break (laughs) myself.
2: But you want me to go down and get your partner? Who's (laughs) laying
0: back in the recliner on his phone, like, not even supporting her? Did
2: you know there's a cafe downstairs?
0: (laughs) And you can get Uber Eats to the front of the hospital, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, not do us yeah, any favours, fellas.
0: <sighs> I know. See, this got this has got to change. It's not everyone. We're not generalising here, but just, yeah, some funny things that have happened. Yeah. I'm
1: trying to think of anything
0: else. Um, There's
2: definitely the positives where the dads are, like, the biggest, adv-
0: oh. biggest advocate. And
2: if they weren't in the room, like, the women would just spiral.
0: My most emotional trigger, like, I don't ever cry in births, but oh my, my emotional God. trigger is when a dad cries. It is the best You just look over and there's, like, tears ever. going down. When like, he's oh, looking at his baby yes. and he's looking at his wife and you can just see how proud he is of what's just happened in that yeah. room. Yeah. And, like, the... Rank of a woman, oh, it's so it's amazing. But that'll get me every time. I'm yeah. like, oh, damn, I'm crying again. It's <laughs> like you try to hold it together. You're i crying, and then you just like, I'm sorry, this is really beautiful.
1: <laughs> I think it's like hats off to you guys to to give the fellas the the space or the the vibe that where they feel comfortable enough to be emotional like that too. I think it, it wouldn't always be the case either.
2: Definitely, there's mm-hmm. some dads that like try to hold it together, and you can mm-hmm. you can see it as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think, too, you know, again, going back to the model of care that we've predominantly yeah. worked in our whole career is that we build relationships with both of the family, like mum and dad. You feel like sometimes so, you're,
2: like, kind of part of the whole. Yeah,
0: you kind of feel like you're the first-born child. Yeah.
1: Like the you're part of the unit, family unit. Like,
2: sometimes it's only, like, the three of you in the room and, like, yeah. the baby comes
0: out and you're like, oh, I'm, like, I'm can we have a this? group hug? Yeah. <laughs> So that's made things easier, I think, from the male's perspective because they're aware of who we are. They know who we are. They're comfortable around us anyway. Like they can have jokes with us. Yeah, yeah. And the way in which that Sophie and I practice is, it's not. Yes, the woman is the main focus in a labour scenario, but particularly when she's transitioning. So that's from when a woman's around seven centimetres to. full dilatation when she starts pushing they become quite intrinsic and quiet and it's often when partners freak out the most because the woman becomes a little bit less responsive she's not really herself and that's when we as midwives make a few more jokes and converse a little bit more particularly at that time with the partner just to kind of let them know that we're all good this This is fine the noises she's making that's normal this is all good
1: and it's usually
2: when dads are looking at you yeah
0: wide-eyed like
2: is this normal like they don't want to say it no give them a little smile like yeah yeah like all good thumbs <laughs> up
1: yeah <laughs> no that's awesome and is that model of care available for like the public health system
0: yeah it's medicare funded unfortunately it requires a dedication of a lot of midwives so and it's, it's not, not available. available at every hospital it's mostly only the bigger hospitals really yeah mm-hmm.
2: but a lot more are starting to come around with it and get more models of care in
0: place it's just hard to yeah. get, I think, into I think program. It's hard to get into yeah. the program for families. You usually have to jump on board as soon as you pee on a stick. So like five, six weeks pregnant.
1: I was going to ask like what's the process you know that we need to go through yeah to find out whether yeah there's that's available
2: it's different at every hospital but your main port of call is your GP so a lot of places if you go to your GP first they'll give you your models of care I know at our hospital women were already knowing about it through calling up and then women that were coming back through the program who had previously been with us they were calling us and emailing us at like Mm. five weeks pregnant but if it's hard you don't know what you don't know exactly right so So, unless you've got a good gp that's going to go through all the models of care with you it's up to you to research what the different models of care are and what's available at the hospitals that are closest to you yeah i
0: think that's probably your first step is you know if you're planning a pregnancy or even if it's a surprise pregnancy soon as you're aware jump on Google, easiest resource you have, look at your local hospitals around you and see what model of care is on offer at that hospital. And if you see MGP there, then get to your GP ASAP so you can have a referral and contact the hospital. Yeah,
1: that's great advice. Would you say the births that seem to go the most smoothly are the ones where their partner is like educated and ready to roll his sleeves up? Or is that a generalisation? I
2: think that's a generalisation. Birth can go so many different ways and you can be as Prepared both, like part Mm -hmm. like women in labor and their support person can be as prepared as they possibly can be, and it doesn't mean your labor is going to go how you want it to Mm.
1: totally. I think it's
2: better to have the education and the knowledge so that when things don't go the way you're planning, you are easily adaptable, yeah. But I don't think knowledge really directs how your labor is going to go, yeah, not at all. There's some things that are just completely out of your control, it's definitely with things like how you mobilize and your different pain relief options and everything that can cascade your labor into something that you don't want. Yeah. That you didn't expect. Yeah. yeah.
1: I reckon from, from my experience you know, with our children was that the best way to prepare ourselves was talk about what are the options? What's your preferred option? yeah, And then, okay, cool. Well, what is the end goal? The end goal is to have a healthy kid. So if it means that Hey, we get a tap on the shoulder to say, guys, it isn't going to plan the way it is. Like, you know, here's, here's what we can do to deliver a happy, healthy baby. Fucking go with it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. The main thing is not just healthy, but happy as well. As you said, yeah. So you can have both a healthy mum and baby, but at the end of the day, like they may not be happy. The mother might not be happy at all with like how the journey went. And I think if you can get both of them
0: on board, yeah. I think too, um, like some women prepare their partners so much that when things do change, they can become abrupt, but also kind of progressing forward. um, What's the word? Like combative. Yes, (laughs) can sometimes be combative. Well, um, usually not good with the
1: words. I know. <laughs> is that just because they're like just thrown off? Like they're, they're like, yeah. oh fuck, I've got to adjust here. I don't know yeah. I really know. Uh, what's I think going you know they
0: obviously it's coming from the fact that they've had multiple conversations with their partner okay. and their partner's been really strict. Like prime example is I don't want an epidural. We yeah. have so many women that come into our clinic before they have their baby and they're in labor and they say, if I ask for an epidural, tell me no. Or they'll have a conversation with their partner. I need to ask for an epidural three times. If I've asked for it three on the fourth time, get then the get epidural. me an epidural. So they have these prior conversations and things change. And the woman's like, No, I'm serious. I, I really want this. And it's only like her first time. And he's like, yeah. Oh, no, like she's sweet. No, she said no to me. So we're yeah. not doing it. And it's like, Okay, we know. He's
1: like, Say it. Say it four <laughs> times.
0: <laughs> say it four, four times. I'm really fast. <laughs> Or there's like a code word, pineapple, yeah. or something like that. Like. That's <laughs> when you've reached your limit or something. I
1: yeah. yeah. wonder um, if they got the same code word in their sex life.
0: And <laughs> yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> 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 you <have one. laughs> I
1: Do you have a safe word, Ash?
0: <laughs> no, continue on. Good question.
1: <laughs> this episode of the Dad Podcast along with almost every day of my life, is fueled by Blackboard Coffee Roasters. The crew at Blackboard Coffee Roasters have set out with the aim of educating people about coffee, where and who the beans come from, how they're roasted, and what to look for when you're drinking a brew. All you coffee addict DadBod listeners will be stoked to know that I have a little dissy code to sweeten your next coffee purchase. Enter DadBod10 at the checkout for a 10% off discount. If you're looking for a little bit more, I personally love the value in setting and forgetting a coffee subscription. The boys at Blackboard offer a huge 20% off every coffee order and free shipping across Australia with every order over 30 bucks. Join up for a prepaid subscription or set and forget with a pay-as-you-go option with no lock-in obligations. Reach out to the boys on Insta at blackboardcoffee.com or blackboardcoffee.com to find out more. Blackboard coffee, good coffee, good people. Now, back to the show. So, Ash, you've recently been specializing in a bit of IVF. Yes. Could you give us a rundown on the process of how, how it starts? You know, like mm-hmm. I, I recently had I, it was he was my first guest on the podcast actually Oscar and they had to go through four rounds of IVF and on the fourth very luckily you know things things progressed so very aware that it can be extremely stressful and hard and invasive but I also know that it can be magical and fucking awesome you know like these medical advances that we have on offer, you know, like I think it's so incredible. So, yeah.
0: That's a tough question to answer in the sense of the process of IVF. There is no linear path with IVF. Anyone that's experienced going through infertility will say that as well. Most of the people that have infertility issues and go through the IVF process have an unexplained reason as to why they're going through this process, why they're just not spontaneously falling pregnant naturally at home. And by the time they come to a fertility clinic, they've probably already been trying for a minimum six months, but at least 12 months, sometimes longer than that. So you can imagine the emotional strain that that already has on the couple too. And there's a lot of shame and stigma surrounding infertility. Definitely for females, but also if it's a male fertility issue because the process of IVF is much more invasive for a female than it is for a male.
1: Totally.
0: So if the reason for infertility is surrounding a poor sperm count or quality, males feel a lot of guilt surrounding that. Mm. I've never
2: thought of it Yeah. Like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, because all men need to do in the process is just ejaculate in a cup. Yep. Could be <laughs> yes, it is in a room. And yes, scientists are just outside waiting for that sample. That's no that pressure. At the idea. Preferred, Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah. I so so Jazz and I were like literally so close to having to go through the process. And yeah, we did all the tests to find out, you know, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And what I went through compared to what she went through was just like, yeah.
2: Was that with your first or right. second?
1: Second. Yeah, second. So yeah, like and it and it and it really is. I, I know going into those appointments, like I just felt so heavy. And as stupid as that sounds, it's like you, you have this sense of failure, which is which is like yeah. it's just this natural thing that and it's so stupid, but compared to what the female have to go through, it's nothing. So
0: And it's hard because it's an unknown. Some women will have a successful round of IVF and fall pregnant off the back of that first cycle. And that's amazing. Mm. As, you know, Oscar discussed in your episode, it took them four. Yeah. Some women takes them 18, 20. And there's a financial burden that's associated with that as well as just putting your body through that, because if you think about it, that's... You know, if you're doing 18, 20 rounds, that's 18 to 20 months, mm. almost two years. So you don't have a break? No, like, some women... we but you I don't think have to? You don't have to, okay. no. But most women will probably have a break after the third month just because most of the medications that are administered through the IBF process are injectables and they're hormones. So they change how a woman feels about herself how she looks because you know most women will put on a little bit of yeah. weight where whether it's fluid retention or actual weight so they start to feel more uncomfortable their body image is impacted and it can really kind of mess with their emotional state uh, oh it 100% yeah. not just
2: because you're trying for a baby but with all the hormones on board yeah and everything that's-
0: yeah absolutely I,
1: I think like outside of you know the side effects of medication there's the, the mental stress that you're under in terms of like feeling lonely. Like you don't feel like you want to talk to people about that process because there's the, oh, what if it doesn't work and all these sort of things. So you're probably like it's a very lonely sort of yeah. time. It, yeah.
0: And there's more, I think, focus on this now. It's more people are willing to have the conversation about infertility issues and going through IVF, but it is still very early days and I think the more exposure that this gets, the more comfortable people will be to have these discussions because it is tough. And you cannot tell, you know, most women won't tell their employer, their partners won't tell their employer what they're doing, let alone your family members, because the last thing you want to you want to happen is having people contact you and say, Are you pregnant this month? Yeah. What's then, going on? Where's yeah. they, at the you same know-
2: time when you're trying to conceive naturally like, naturally as well? It's not like you're talking to your friends and your colleagues and all mm-hmm. your family saying, like, oh yeah, we're going to. Try
0: again
1: this month. Yeah, yeah. Had Uh, sex last night. Nailed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can, you can, you can tell. You can go to work and tell your boss.
1: (laughs) Because it depends what the relationship is like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like a topic that needs to be spoken more about for sure. Yeah. IVF.
0: I think it's slowly gaining traction. This topic and. You know, it relies on people to be brave about their stories and be willing to share them. But mm. if you're the dads listening to this episode and they're going through infertility issues, just want you guys to know that you actually aren't alone. Mm. Like it affects far more people than what we realize. Women are deciding to have children a little bit later in life. It's probably become, going to become yeah. more prevalent than what it is now in the next, you know, five to 10 years. So, you know, don't be afraid to have conversations. And yeah, it's tough.
1: Yes, was words, words. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a few questions come through on the Instagram page as well, which is really cool. People just wanting to know your thoughts on a few things. So what's your thoughts on GBS testing, necessary or not? Also thoughts or comments around antibiotics in labor. Couple of questions inside the question, <laughs> but there you go.
2: That's a real loaded question because- I think it's really important because it's based on own preference, really. Yeah. Yeah. Most public hospitals, actually most public and private hospitals, test for GBS in Australia at about 35 to 37 weeks gestation. It's a low vaginal swab. And either the woman does this herself or her care provider can do it for her as well. And, and it's a bacteria I that's found that's in the vagina. I think that's important to understand is that it's a normal bacteria. Yeah. And it it's transient, so it comes and goes in women all the time. So like, ah, I could have it right now, and then in like, speak for yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. <genius. laughs> I mean, actually, Wait, yeah. I oh my God, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah,
0: that. Really? <laughs> okay. Well, Sneaky I'll cat, that one to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so it so come- it's her, not me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it comes and goes in women all the time. And it it doesn't affect us at all. You don't even know you
0: have it. So the only time you ever get tested for it is when you're pregnant. Yeah. And it's not an STI, a sexually transmitted infection or anything like that. No.
1: So I reckon like thoughts on that is like what if you feel like you want to do it, you do it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the debate there and probably why someone has asked this question is because um, the parameters for swabbing uh, at that stage of pregnancy differ between states. And also between hospitals so that means there's different depending on where you choose to birth sure. and the same goes in the same sentiment in that it's transient so yes we're swabbing at 35 to 37 weeks but will it still be there at 40 weeks when you have your baby or you know if it's present at 18 weeks because we can also test for it in urine if it's present then and we treat uh, those women as gbs positive the whole way through their pregnancy is it present at 40 weeks
2: and it also a lot of hospitals do like a risk basis Assessment. on it. Mm. So they'll only swab women that have a high risk for GBS, whereas other hospitals will swab every single woman or offer the swab every single woman at 35 to 37 weeks. Mm. You don't have to have it. I think that's no. important
0: to yeah. note as well. It's not mandatory.
2: No. Yeah, but um, babies can get very, very sick from GBS. Right. And I think for me personally, once you see a baby that yeah. has been sick with GBS...
0: I would take the antibiotics. Yeah, it's a tough one. I haven't had children, so if we're coming from like a personal (laughs) Mm. take, we're taking our midwife hats off here because obviously we work within our own scope. That's a policy in our hospital. So yes, we do advise women to have a swab at that gestation. But if I took my midwife hat off, I'm unsure. I think if I had the risk factors for GBS, then 100. So that includes you know having ruptured membranes, preterm, so before 36 weeks, having a previous baby with previous baby with GBS, lots of those sort of instances but illness from gbs
2: so out of a thousand newborns delivered vaginally less than a third will become colonized
0: with gbs and
2: then out of that only one to four of those newborns will actually develop an illness from gbs
0: and that illness looks like severe respiratory distress so basically they're needing support with ventilation In a neonatal intensive care unit, that means that they're separated from mums and dads for a certain period of time. Usually it's like a week or two. Some babies have passed away from this illness, so, you know, it can be quite serious. Uh, In terms of antibiotics in labour, we do bomb The women with I GBS think that's with a, a lot of women get
2: really concerned yeah. about taking the antibiotics because it's such a massive dose and the dose only got higher what last year two years ago uh, i
0: think i think it's a bit longer longer than that yeah right oh yeah it well, was longer than that cause yeah, cause, yeah. <laughs> it's about five
2: yeah so we doubled
0: it yeah and the reason as to why women and their partners may be questioning the use of antibiotics in labour is surrounding how it affects the baby's microbiome. So basically it's gut health. Um, We know that babies born vaginally that have skin to skin at birth, whether it's with their dad or their mum, and babies that are breastfed have a better microbiome than babies who are born via cesarean section or babies that have had a lot of antibiotics in labour or a lot of IV fluids, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so that's why it's a contentious issue in pregnancy. I think it's just important to weigh up the, the options. options. Yeah. 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 It's a personal decision. Do your research. Ask your healthcare provider. Yeah. And then make a decision that aligns with the both of you. If you choose not to swab, you know the risk and you just, you know, you take that on board. Sure. And also... You are really kind of unsure, and then you
2: decide you do want to take the antibiotics, you can also take a probiotic as well. Mm. Okay. It's never too late
0: to change your mind either. Okay. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Are the classes worth it? Antenatal classes? 100%.
0: I push for classes like for first time parents. Oh, yeah,
2: 100%. Or second time parents that have had like a traumatic first mm. birth. I think a lot of parents, how many women book into the hospital and they say they don't want to do classes because they don't want to know too much because it'll scare them. I always try to say, I always say this to women, if you're going to go buy a brand new car, do you just like go to the car yard and like wing it and just buy whatever's there? (laughs) Or do you like research? I like this analogy. (laughs) You're obviously going to research it. So, why would
0: you not research one of the biggest life events that's going to happen to you? And can
1: potentially- totally
0: yeah. change your life or will change your life. Yeah. Going- but it's really important for partners because men, like you said at the beginning of this episode, men aren't experiencing the like physiological changes of pregnancy and so therefore they can often feel a little bit more isolated and removed from the process and by attending classes and seeing other males in the room that are ready to support their partners too it has a huge impact yeah on them particularly pre-covid when we were able to do hospital tours and things like that as well where they could you know kind of look at a birthing unit room and familiarise themselves with the equipment in there and what's available to them and how they could best support their partner because I think we underestimate or a lot of people underestimate how important their role is in labour it is so important yeah it can change the whole scenario
1: yeah I can speak from experience because we did the classes with Marlo our first and yeah the information that I got out of that it just it just made me feel so much more calm and ready for the day you know when it when it did come on you know things sort of like changed within our first initial plan of a natural birth and we ended up having to have a cesarean with Marlo anyway but it's I was educated on that through these classes so it was it's not as if I just got secondhand news from jazz saying like oh this has changed I've got to, yeah it's it's going to be different
0: and you would have implemented those what you had learned for the birth of Valley
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah and that's why we didn't attend the second time around is because we we already knew but i will also add that um you mentioned seeing other dads around in the room and how that they're there and ready to sort of get involved and advocate for their partners i met some really great mates through it too which is which is cool like you know you're...
2: it's really important as well because it doesn't just put all the pressure on the person that's birthing. Mm-hmm. I think as a midwife, I did classes as well and I wanted my partner to do them with me because it doesn't just put all the decisions on me. It also gets him involved and is like, okay, well, she really doesn't want this, so I'm going to be the one advocating for it. When I was like completely. Oh, but
1: when when you're giving birth, you're not a midwife at that time, are you? You're like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it
2: times to- I was like, mm. <laughs> but yeah, I think it it just puts decision making on them as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: I don't think it should just have to be on the birthing person. No, absolutely
0: not.
1: Mm. As a midwife, would you prefer that the dad gets involved or hangs back in order to support their partner?
0: I'm in the middle. Mixture of both. (laughs) Yeah. In some instances, like... Probably depends
1: on like what time of the the day too, right?
0: It's really their support for their partner in labour is, like I said before, is so important. Probably one of the most important aspects of the labour process, I think. And that's as simple as you know your partner better than we do. So reading her cues, if she's thirsty give her a drink, Mm. you know. If she's not coping, your words of wisdom will calm her down. Like she, you have that connection with each other. And I think most males are able to read the room. Like I think, you know, they know, most men know when to hang back and pull back a sec. And also most women, particularly in transition, aren't afraid to vocalise that either. Mm. Like I can't tell you how many times, (laughs) yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, don't fucking touch me, piss off, like, (laughs) And she will, (laughs) and I always just try to say this to partners. She
2: still loves you. Yeah, she's gonna love you after this. She She won't remember. They all do this. (laughs) But it really, it drives me insane. The one pet hate is when you walk into a room and the partner is sitting on their phone pretty much the entire process, yeah, yeah. doesn't even look up or hold her hand or anything when she's having waters broken or there's a decision to be made, he just sits in the chair. It just it drives me insane. Yeah. Get off your phone. Or he'll be like, look at the CTG monitor and be like, oh, you're having a contraction. Yeah, she's having a contraction. If you just looked at her, you can clearly <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can hear
1: it. <laughs> 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 I mean, what? sorry, for di- sorry for disturbing you. <laughs>
0: And, uh, you know, and um, first, I mean, we can only speak for ourselves. I've seen Sophie do it in her practice and I have certainly in mine, if a partner is a little bit like, you encourage with the fairies, you. Yeah. You, we often give them a role. We're like, okay, I've been holding this heat pack here for five minutes. You're going to come and do yeah. what I'm doing. and massage or the like, back. Yeah, or, massage the
2: back. So you do it like this. yeah. Or her water bottle is like half empty. So that's your job now. You offer us sips in between every single contraction. And they'll usually be
0: like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sometimes I say like, You're the water boy. (laughs) You're the runner.
2: (laughs) And sometimes it's giving them a role because they actually they don't know what to do
0: because they can be
1: created by the process
0: as well. You know, where well, it's just, it's, a, it's a you know again this old idea that it's a female dominated you know thing and most midwives are quite strong in their presence and so some men can be quite intimidated by that in the sense of like I I don't know where I come into play in in this process and it sometimes and so that's why they hang back.
2: It's bad I in you know, I guess in a sense on our role that we do this every single day sometimes mm. where you kind of you don't know, forget about the partners but sometimes not, yeah
0: our focus is on the woman and the baby and it sometimes takes
2: like a couple of hours or so when you look at the partner like oh like I should have given him like something to do or I should have been including him a little bit more especially if like they're not asking a lot of questions
0: yeah yeah especially when something traumatic is happening or what they would be perceived as traumatic is occurring I think it's really important particularly for midwives or for the healthcare provider to really communicate with partners as to what's going on. Cause you can imagine the fear that they have sometimes is, am I going to lose my partner? Am I going to lose my baby? You know, when an emergency situation is occurring, the partner is often in the corner of the room, silent, Mm. they don't know what yeah. to do there's a million people in the room and I think that's again something that we wow oh, that just gave me goosebumps yeah I know because yeah it happened I... to me yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really awful. awful you know it's and unfortunately the partner's not the priority but as soon as there's time where we can communicate to them but often by that time you know you can imagine what their heart rate's doing it's through yeah. the roof so much and mm. if they're having to go to theater and they're separated from their partner for a short while they've got no idea what's going on or if so. they're just
2: watching their baby get resuscitated or something
0: yeah oh. mm. the woman is often having an out-of-body experience because she's either just given birth or she's very intrinsic in that moment whereas the partner is there watching the whole thing unfold
1: mm.
2: I- I also don't think there's enough postnatal support sometimes mm. yeah, for, for partners, partners. Yeah. that have been through a traumatic event. Yeah. Because as Ash just said, they're the ones actually watching it all unfold minute by minute mm. and they feel helpless, yeah. they can't do anything. Yeah. I think there needs to be a lot more postnatal support for that.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure i mean i didn't i didn't once at any time like i wouldn't say that our experience was like super traumatic at all but there was you know towards the final stages all of a sudden there was you know 15 midwives and doctors and specialists all in the room like within two seconds and i had no idea what was going on even that and i was very
0: something's going not
1: totally when
0: that starts happening but you don't know whether is it normal to have fifteen people in the room when this is happening, or is it abnormal to have fifteen people yeah. in the room? Yeah,
1: yeah, like a yeah. I wouldn't say it was super traumatic uh, at all, but I'd you know I can't recall ever sort of been asking like oh so, hey, are you travelling with it or yeah. you know afterwards. I think even if it's not in the room at the time, maybe in the in the hallway or something like that afterwards, or maybe if it is included into the sort of. The the checklist of like before they send the parents home. Yeah, I think it's like the dad.
2: Yeah, for sure. Ash and I are working in a continuative care model. Part of we have this opportunity. Yeah, part of our like. it's, it's, it's just our common practice is debriefing. We go into a room, whether it's where we're visiting our women at home and their partners, we'll debrief on the whole birth. What happened? Do they have any questions? Mm. Whereas a lot of women don't have that no. because they don't see the same healthcare providers afterwards. They might have a midwife or doctor that's in their birth and then they'll never
0: see them again. Yeah. It's mm. a valid point that you make adding it to like a postnatal yeah. discharge yeah. checklist or something like that. And hopefully yeah. something along those lines is implemented one
1: day. Listen up, New South Wales Health.
0: <laughs> Not just New South Wales Health. The whole like. health oh. system. Yeah. <laughs> the whole know, yeah. public and private
1: <laughs> because traumatic. Things yeah. And in a private
0: healthcare
1: yeah. system. or also. home birth, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. So, next question What to do for a baby that hates being burped, screams and back arches until they stop?
0: I would stop burping them.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it really
1: depends. I mean, maybe they don't need to be burped. I don't know.
0: I mean, sometimes back arching can be a sign of trapped wind, but. Yeah.
1: Also- like colic or something. A lot yeah.
0: of breastfed babies shouldn't really need to be burped. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's probably not. And not, and not every baby needs to burp. Particularly if they're breastfed. Yeah. Bottle-fed babies, you probably need to just give them an opportunity yeah. to let their tummy settle and sit them up. But don't or changing positions in how you're doing it, because there's yeah. different
2: positions. A lot of people mm. just do the whole like over your shoulder or like sitting up. There's like
0: over your lap, sometimes. over your forearm. Yeah. If they're little, maybe it's that.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then if uh, things persist, see your medical professional.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> there you <laughs> like, go, guys. <laughs> <like a> medical <laughs> professional. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and so, so I've heard you guys mention on your pod to ensure that you're aware of your options and the best way to support and advocate for your partner during birth. Can you share experiences where the partner's advocacy has come through with a really great result?
0: I think we probably nearly see it's it like every, every day, day. <laughs> to be honest. a yeah. nice thing that yeah. we're able to say that. Yeah. Like I've said before, birth, particularly first-time parents, is unpredictable. But if a baby is born in a happy, healthy condition and mum's happy, then their partner's done their job. It's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah.
2: But it's even just the partner questioning something or even if it's just as simple as walking into the birth suite and they bring in their little piece of paper with like, here's her birth preferences. Like, mm. you've done a good job. That's all you need <laughs> <Yeah>. to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so I guess, you know, like, That being said, I think it's extremely important for you to be an advocate for your partner because, like you've just said, you've seen it over and over again every day. I'll actually give you an example
0: that happened to me on the weekend birth didn't go to plan and yeah. the mum was separated from her baby and the, yeah. the baby went to the nursery together. He was asked a question in regards to having uh, giving the baby uh, vitamin K, which is uh, one of the injections that we offer babies at birth. The other one's hepatitis B vaccine. And he opened up the birth plan and he said, nothing's gone according to plan today. I'm just going to refer to the birth plan. He looked at the birth plan, looked up at the pediatric doctor and said, can we just wait for my partner to get here? Because she'd prefer a a different option. So can we just wait for her to arrive? He's done his job. Yeah. She she arrived a little bit later into the nursery. He liaised with her. They came to a conclusion together.
1: Yeah. And I think it's very easy to get swept up by the emotion and you know, the fast pacedness of it all. Is that even a word? Fast pacedness? Yeah. It, it, it can yeah. be really and, and yeah. Y- yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you can get so swept up with it and just go with the flow. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's what we've got to do. So let's just do it. Yeah. And
2: it's a really fast paced environment sometimes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Mm. Just
2: like we're doing this, 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 and this. Sometimes support people can just be a bit like, Oh, oh like I don't have time to like think about it or.
0: Yeah. And you just yeah. met another new face and another new, new face yeah. like, who are you what's and your if you role have
2: birth preferences mm. or you've had previous discussions with your partner where this is where classes come into play so much because classes bring up opportunities for you guys to have conversations mm. with each other about what you want and what you don't want I was really adamant with my partner that I do not want an episiotomy and these are the situations in which I will have one like before we went in I was like so what's your job and he's like you don't want an episiotomy like <laughs> Well, you remembered bumping in the car on the yeah. way there right That's
0: great
1: <laughs> yeah but you know that made you feel comfortable about having him there right yeah. so <laughs> that was his job <laughs>
0: That's why obstetrician, she doesn't want an abuse. Yeah, I would have loved that too.
1: <laughs> just straight away, like as soon She, it's she together, walks right? in the room,
0: she doesn't want it to abuse. <laughs> That's okay. she's not in my video. All good. And
1: then he just goes, oh.
0: oh, I got that. I'm like, so I did it, I did it. <laughs>
1: Just going for the high fives. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, Do you guys add any nuggets of wisdom in amongst any of these questions or anything that you could share with the listeners?
0: She's going to love you at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's more (laughs) just like have the confidence to own the pregnancy and the birth as much as what your partner does and no question is dumb no absolutely not okay there's been some dumb questions but <laughs> but that's funny and that's okay like just you know this is as much as your of your experience yeah. as it is for your partner and be present like you you will remember much more of this than what she will and yes, that that's an important one. yeah and you know it gives you an opportunity later down the track to say And you've heard this so many times after a woman's had a baby and the partner's like, do you remember you said this to me and you pooped and you should have seen what it looked like when the head was born, you know, and they've taken photos and, you know, they have such an important role and it's underestimated in society and it needs to change.
2: And get involved, partners, with watching it happen.
0: Yeah. I really,
1: yeah.
2: I think it helps. It gives them a new sense of like awe of their part.
1: You can also relay that to your partner because they are having that out of body experience, or you know whatever it is. They're not going to remember certain things. So yeah. if you are involved, um, and I will just add to that. So during our birth classes, it was like you know one of the last sessions, and they're like, "All right, time to ask any any sort of questions." Mike, so where the fuck do we park? <laughs> we, <where are laughs> really? I was like, yeah. I like. Uh, I had no idea, you know, like, and you know what? You don't have to be like, oh, so I'll just get this car parked. Right down the end of the back of the hospital there, and you've got to walk with all the bags and all the shit. I have
2: seen. I was sitting in our lunchroom one day, and I saw a partner carrying his wife up the stairs, and we were all like, "He's legit got to be a fireman, like (laughs) the way he was carrying her." And when he got up there, he was like, "She could not walk. I couldn't get her in the hospital. I just had to carry her up the set of stairs." And they're like pretty big stairs. Yeah,
0: they are. (laughs) It's like two sets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no nah, that's awesome so uh i know it's been tough to sit here with a couple of cold ones on a sunday <laughs> yeah. you know I love i'm
0: gonna
1: i'm on a seltzer i'm, oh, I'm, the nice. I'm the, yeah. you guys are going to beers <laughs> yeah
0: we're, we're <laughs> gone carb carb heavy
1: yeah no <laughs> <laughs> nice nah, nah, so um yeah i just feel like it's um you know we're just caught up at the pub and had a bit of a yarn so it's it's been really great i appreciate it so thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Dad Podcast thanks. today, guys. For
0: us.
1: And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode, you bunch of legends. If you enjoy the show, could I please get you to show me some love by subscribing and leave a really nice review? Also, for loads of extras and to stay up to date with all things Dad Podcast, head on over to at dad underscore podcast on instagram and give us a follow huge love to you all O's. catch you soon